The Theonauts, episode 60. The one where it's going to get hot, hot, hot. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Theohelians out there. I'm David Gaddy. And I'm Jeremiah Orr. Or not. <laughs> I'm Michael T. Hansen. And together we are the, the Theonauts. Theo That's right. We've got the famous podcaster from Finding Christ in Cinema with us, Michael Hansen. Welcome to the it, show. David, I have on my helmet. I've got on my pressurized space suit, and I've got plenty of oxygen. I'm ready. <laughs> awesome. So, yes, uh, I asked uh, Michael if he would sit in this week because Jeremiah is still out doing who knows what, uh, but it is driving Jeremiah crazy <laughs> that the show is going on without him. <laughs> yes. Well, it, it's limping along. Whoops. We need Jeremiah back, but uh, summer is the busiest season for a youth pastor because not only do you have to teach Sunday school and go to youth camps and, and Bible studies and be a father to the fatherless and all that good stuff, you have to mow lawns, you have to go and help little old ladies <laughs> that ran out of gas, all the stuff that nobody wants to do. Yeah, all kinds of stuff going on there with him. So, uh, But he tells me that it will probably be late August that uh, he'll be back on the show and he is just chomping at the bit. So, yeah. And it's funny that, you know, the topic that we're going to talk about today is one that he's passionate about. So. <laughs> <laughs> Near and dear to his heart. Yeah. So anyway, uh, just got through listening to you guys on uh, Finding Christ in Cinema talking about uh, Batman. The Dark Knight. Yes. That was an yeah. awesome episode, guy. Well, it was quite a quite an episode um, you know, watching this movie because it is so dark. And I think it's because we did two dark-themed movies in a row. Mm -hmm. uh, we did uh, Calvary, that Irish uh, independent film. And so watching, I, I already knew, we're going to go and do The Dark Knight. It's, that's a heavy movie. And, and it really, it bumps me out. That movie bumps me out. <laughs> it really shows the depravity of man. Mm. But it also shows the empathy of God, and it shows that uh, that that Jesus or the Batman, you know, because Batman is a type and shadow of Jesus in this film. Um, it shows that he is not the God that we deserve, but he is the God that we need. Yeah, and that's a beautiful picture. Yeah, that was that was awesome, and um, yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, that's one of those movies I I wasn't a fanboy about it like a lot of people were mainly because I kind of came from a traditional Batman background. <laughs> Give me Adam West. <laughs> yes, and I and and as much as I liked uh, I like uh Christopher Nolan, uh it's it's almost like they're taking it too seriously. That was my first in, in impressions whenever I was and I'm like this is a guy dressed as a bat. Why are we why are we talking about, oh, it needs to be gritty and real and, 
you know. But and obviously he went that direction for a very specific purpose. But I agree with you. They are too heavy for me. Yeah. I like a little bit of levity. And, and you and you get those in the Marvel movies. But what about this, David? Yeah. Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Did well, you see I'm the trailer? Yes, and I'm still psyched about it because I am a huge Superman fan. Amen, brother. And I'm hey. always let down when those movies come out. But... <laughs> Is there a better picture of Jesus than Superman? Not in the comic books. Not that in the I've comic seen. books. Yeah, no, that's a, that that is amazing. And you know the guys that it's it's funny the guys that invented Superman are actually Jewish. You know, huh? and uh. so they did it from a messianic standpoint. But what they did was they they made a portrait of Christ. They did while trying to make a messianic. Uh, so much so that Superman, his name Kal-El, right, and, and his dad is Jor-El, uh -huh. but what they say even on Krypton was that they were of the house of El. Right. Bethel. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, El is, the, is, is a name of God, one of the names of yep. God, so, but anyway. Okay, so while we, uh, we're going to probably we need to get going because this is going to be um, uh, uh, probably a heavy topic that we're going to discuss. Are you saying that the well-mannered frivolity is over? Yes. Well, <laughs> not quite. We'll see <laughs> because I have got some interesting feedback. Hello, see nuts. This is your wonderful Professor Ticklebottom. I'm just calling uh, to say I miss you. I think you're doing a great job. I love the uh, theonautical uh, episode on uh, the giants. Although I think you use some uh, extra biblical text, you might want to take a look at there um, because uh, I'm worried about you, David, being in errands and whatnot. Seems like you're going crazy without uh, your counterpart, Jeremiah. Um, I miss Jeremiah. I think that Jeremiah was the better part of theonauts. Just saying. Anyways. Keep up the good work, and uh, hopefully we'll hear from that chap Jeremiah from, uh, pretty soon. Uh, uh, God bless, and uh, go see an article. Adios. <laughs> so anyway. Professor Ticklebottom. Yes, old, old Ticklebottom is back. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, he, he realizes that Jeremiah is the best part of the Theonauts. <laughs> I thought that he would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, he and Jeremiah have a lot in common, you know. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, here's another one. Hey, David. It's Jeremiah. I'm just calling to say hello, and I miss my theonautical buddy, and I miss doing theonauts. And um, I got a call from a strange Irishman yesterday who told me that I should call in and let you know that uh, y'all rock, and, uh, and I'll be back sometime soon. Um, but he also told me that, you know, you might be slipping a little bit theologically. I'm kind of worried about you, brother, so I've been praying um, about all this, I don't know, crazy mythological stuff. Uh, nothing, you know, something about creationism. Anyway, so just uh, just letting you know I'm, I'm praying for you, and, you know, uh, don't slip up. I heard today's uh, topic might be one that's especially interesting to me. And so, uh, you know... I wish I was there to debate it with you, but uh, I think you're in good hands with uh, our brother Michael uh, calling in. I just um, I also wanted to say, man, I really just miss the news, especially Pope news. So I'm going to give you a little tidbit. Brothers and sisters, 
September, Pope Francis will be visiting Capitol Hill. That's right. Pope Francis will be speaking to the senators. It's uh, pretty exciting to think about, and uh, it's uh, it comes with some controversy, especially with the uh, Republicans who find themselves lining up a little bit against the Pope this time and, and stuff like, uh, I don't know, weather change and, and, uh, and poverty and such. And uh, anyways, and, and also capitalism, of course. Um, but one of my favorite quotes I've read so far uh, comes from our uh, wonderful senator, Mr. Bomer. Uh, this is what he says. Well, listen, there's one thing we know about this Pope. He's not afraid to take on the status quo or not afraid to say what he really thinks. And I can tell you this, I'm not about to get myself in an argument with the Pope. I'm sure the Pope will have things to say that people will find interesting and I'm looking forward to his visit. So I don't know about you, but I wouldn't get in an argument with the Pope either. Uh, <laughs> anyways, dude, uh, love you. Miss uh, Theonauts and miss our fans. And I uh, can't wait to uh, come back and do some more uh, Theonautical crazy stuff with you. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, I find that very interesting because uh, especially on the uh, the Democrat side of the aisle, there is a lot of de- of Catholics. Yes. And, you know, prior popes have called out. Uh, I'm thinking of one particular member um, uh, of the House and and uh, and this person said whatever. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'd like to see him. there. I, I, but I'm a fan of Pope Francis. I think he's a neat guy. Oh, we've got a theme song for him and everything. I know so. it. I'm jealous. <laughs> That's why I had to come on the show, but I didn't bring any. And, no, you uh, brought the whole other soundboard with you, though. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And but now, if Jeremiah is worried about your uh, your X Files episode last uh, last week, <laughs> oh boy, I'm I'm worried. I'm worried about this episode. <laughs> yes. Remember, we can debate, but we don't have to divide. That's right? correct. Amen. And. Uh, and, you know, I'll try my best to uh, – I won't field uh, this debate as well as Jeremiah, uh, or at least as passionately as Jeremiah would. <laughs> so uh, we'll just have some fun with it. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, anyway, it's you would think that Jeremiah misses the show, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. I, I, but, hey, uh, all kidding aside, Jeremiah – we miss you, and uh, the Theonauts is not the Theonauts without Jeremiah Orr. And I'll be the first one to say that. We, it's, it is, it's really, uh, I mean, not to take anything away from the shows we've had, uh, but there, there is a, you know, there's that straight man, funny man type of, of relationship, you know, and you've always got that, you know. Uh, and uh, with, with, without him, I'm, it's like the straight man and the straight man every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. but listening to, you know, with Jeremiah is one of those people that you can listen to him talk and just his sense of humor, you know that you like him. Mm-hmm. Like, man, if I met him in real life, we're already going to be friends because I'm predisposed <laughs> to like him. And he's one of those kind of people. And that makes a uh, that makes a powerful witness for Jesus, people like that, because I believe that that's a spiritual gift. Right. I do, too. So. And, and, and it's a good one for him to have in his vocation. Yes. So, yep. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why he is where God placed him. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, I was going to do some news, but hey, let's just jump into this thing. All right. All right. 
Okay, in case uh, you haven't caught us, you know, hinting at it. <laughs> or seen the title of the show. Well, yeah. <laughs> we, we are going to be talking about the subject of eternal or not so eternal punishment of the wicked. Um, I, we'll just call it the nature of hell. How's that? All right. That's All right. <laughs> we, we had an episode, we had a Theonauts episode on heaven. So it just, you know, it, it, I guess it's appropriate that we, the, we talk about the nature of hell. And this is, is one of the things that you and I have talked about this type of stuff off and on. Um, and it's, you know, it was something that I've also studied with some other friends of mine quite a bit. And it's, I, I think it's, it's good for us to, to get all the thoughts out there on the table and see where everybody's coming from and what's driving it all and, and, and this sort of thing. So um, anyway, where do you want to jump in on this and, and, and get us rolling? Well, let's, let's preface this whole episode, this whole discussion with um, making it clear that we are not here to, to fight and argue and, and somebody has to be right and somebody has to be wrong. Um, this is, uh, it's a doctrine and it has been for a very long time. Um, and so it needs to be discussed on a, This is a, a theology show. Um, but uh, one of the important things... Well, let's treat this as as like high school debate class, because in high school <laughs> debate, they would just line up the kids and say, you two are going to debate this topic here. You are pro, you are con. And con might say, but I'm pro. It doesn't matter. Argue as if you were okay, con. This is okay. a debate, right? I'm good. And, and so for the past year and a half, um, maybe even approaching two years, I have been studying this subject, David, because I... Um, have spent my whole entire lifetime in church, and I have been taught certain things my whole life. And there are many things still, even in my ripe old age, that I haven't even taken the time to question. Mm -hmm. I've just accepted at face value. Correct. Now, because something is accepted and because something is widely accepted does not make it true. That's true as well. And so we are, as, as good Bereans... We want to make sure that we are studying the scripture for ourselves in order to see whether the things that we are taught are true, even if they are taught by the Apostle Paul. Correct. Right. And, and I think that there is something else that we need to both, uh, that we, we, we need to preface, preface this discussion about, is that uh, we're actually going to be talking about, the, um, uh, about what happens to the wicked uh, whenever they die. That's, that's kind of what we're talking about. So... Um, one of the, or I say the wicked, even those that just, they don't have Christ. Okay. If you die without Christ, what happens? That's, yep. that's where we're going. And that basically makes you wicked, but we're all wicked to some Let's degree. just say the unsaved. There you go. <laughs> okay. So, uh, but with that in mind, um, there is a, there is a fine line here, uh, a combo, uh, uh, an, uh, an argument that has been floated around. It really hit the um, the evangelical, um, uh, I guess, media and everything else through uh, some of the teachings of Rob Bell a few years ago uh, in his book Love Wins, in which he made the 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 statement basically that he he now believed that everyone would be saved at some point or another, even if it's post death. Um, right. So. Uh, just to be clear, you're not going there. 
there are four views and I'm not going there. <laughs> that, that we're aware of on the on hell or the fate of the unrepentant, the unsaved. Um, the traditionalist view, which is believes in never-ending torment with no chance of escape. Yes. Then what you just mentioned is the universalist, which is completely all, the other side of the spectrum. Yes, all eventually make it to heaven. And as we talked about on the last episode of Finding Christ in Cinema, all means all. That's all all ever means. So yes. every single person will eventually make it to heaven. Then there is the annihilationist. So we're going to just drop the universalist. Let's not even mention that again. Neither okay. one of us have any inclination towards that. Yeah. My only concern is that I don't want people to think that any of these views that we hold are leading there because both you and I are both Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but by him, and that happens during this uh, this lifetime. This, if this. you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's pretty plain and, and simple. You need to be in Christ. Yes. And consciously, and it needs to be done in this lifetime. So so we'll just drop universalist from the list because that's it makes no sense. Okay. We don't go there, and, and there's no... Uh, there's no leaning towards that. Then there is the uh, the annihilationist, and so what the annihilationist believes is they are opposite of the traditionalist in that they believe that uh, the unsaved uh, uh, upon death are immediately extinguished mm -hmm. from existence. So there is nothing else. It's just once you die, if you are not in Christ, you're dead. You're dead, dead like a dog, right? But then there's this position called the conditionalist. The conditionalist believe that on judgment day, we will find out our fate. Mm -hmm. And if you are unsaved, you will be punished for a time, whatever the time is. There's no definition for that because they believe that it is commensurate with the crime. The punishment will fit the crime. Okay. If you are, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, if you're a heinous person and you've done terrible things to God's children and stuff, you are going to experience worse mm -hmm. uh, punishment than somebody that just, you know, what, whatever you want to use for the argument, the, the, you know, the person that led a good life, but didn't, you know, ever accept Christ, but they were very uh, philanthropic and, or philanthropy and all that good stuff. So, right. um, so again, they believe in judgment, punishment that's going to fit the crime, and then will come the second death that's talked about in Revelation chapter 20 and 21. Okay. Uh, and they will be extinguished, ex uh, extinguished from life. They will die a second time, but it is eternal death. That is death that cannot be reversed. So those are what we are, uh, what we're talking about. Okay. Um, as far as the, the, uh, the <coughs> on, on the, uh, on punishment and uh, the fate of the so, so if we're going to be uh, playing this in terms of a school debate, a high school debate, then I need you to play the part of the traditionalist. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay, so here's what, let me get back to my story. About a year and a half ago, two years ago, okay. I started on this uh, journey because of a debate that I got in on a Sunday morning Bible study with my good friend. Yes. Uh, in fact, my friend that is happens to be a patron saint of the Great Commission Transmission Network. He sends in money every month, yet listens to no shows. Says wow. I don't care 
podcasts. I don't care about them. <laughs> wow. But here's money because I believe in what you guys are doing. Right. Okay. That's and cool. I took I took the the traditionalist uh, standpoint. Uh-huh. I took the arguments that we, we love to pull from C.S. Lewis, especially when we like to say. Uh, well, God doesn't send them to hell. They send themselves to Correct. hell because that's what they want. Correct. Okay. And and I believed it. Hook, line, and sinker because I never read one word of a of an opposing viewpoint. And so I challenged myself. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. So I did some research and I found the uh, um, the best book uh, that I could find. And I'm pulling uh, book wise mainly from uh, William or Edward William Fudge's. Uh, magnum opus, really, called uh, The Fires That Consume, or The Fire That Consumes. And um, um, he is he's recognized as being, his book is recognized as being probably the greatest book on the on the subject. He, he wrote a second book after that. This was originally written back in the 80s, but I have the third, the third view. And plus, I have a bunch of other uh, um, uh, articles and things that I have uh, referenced. Um, so what happened, David, was from being all in, 100% traditionalist view, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Yeah, that flat to, her, flat hermeneutic. Yes, to <laughs> now I have one, one foot in the conditionalist camp and mm-hmm. one foot on the line between traditional and conditional. So I'm only 25% in on the traditional view. Um, and my foot's slipping. Toward annihilationism uh, or condition? Yeah. So, well, can, it's, the same. it's the same. So what kind of annihilation? Well, it's not the, quite the same because well, annihilationism believes there's nothing afterward. Right. But Correct. most most uh, opponents or proponents of the traditional view only recognize annihilationism. Okay. Okay. So they'll say, they'll <clears> even <throat> go so far as to say conditionalists. That's like they're trying to rectify and trying to justify and they're doing, you know, mental gymnastics. Yeah. Which is not the case, but it, but regardless, but it is it is a position between the traditionalist position and the annihilationism. Right, it is. So mm-hmm. I mean, so I mean, that's arguable. I don't. I don't. A decent point. I, I have no reason so far to uh, believe in the annihilationism. Uh, that is immediate extinction upon death. Right. I, you know, right. I believe that there is punishment to be meted. Um, and that, again, it, fit, it will fit the crime. But uh, that's not to say, because I still have 25% in the traditionalist camp, so I can be pulled back. Yeah, okay? yeah. But, uh, but well, and, and I think un, the underlying uh, thing, or part of the, the underlying theme here, is that all in all, if you are in a safe condition, this argument really doesn't matter. Well, that leads to some questions about about doctrine or or, or dogma. Well, yeah, and it, well, it does. T- it does. What it does impact is, and I think this is where you're going, is how you teach things, yes, and how you address things. And I, I and and um, I think we were talking a little bit before the show. There are there are pros and cons to to what you teach because um, I, I I completely hear where you're coming from, and I'm sure we'll get to that. But I, there are it, the thing is, this is kind of all over the place, and um, I, I will say, going into this, I will probably argue pretty staunchly for the traditionalists on the, in this debate. And I'll not necessarily, yeah. And you'll and you'll be um, conditionalists, 
in, in the debate. But uh, what I, I will tell you this, I'm not overly passionate about it because, I, because honestly, it doesn't affect me in, in my eternal existence. Right. Um, so, I mean, well, separation, is- separation from God is separation from God, whether it's temporary or permanent. Okay, um, so let's just get this out of the way. The doctrine of of the fate, the everlasting fate of the unrepentant, the unsaved, is it is it a uh, is it a salvation issue, David? Do you have to believe one way or the other in order to be saved? I do. I don't believe so. Neither do I. Yeah. Um, Some people so, will hold you to that, but well, and that's I was telling you before the show. That is what prompted this topic to me. Was uh, I'm a, a <coughs> member of a particular community on Google Plus, and it's mm-hmm. a Christian blogger community. And they posted. They said, you know, we haven't ever done this, and it's high time we post our our uh, what did I say? Our statement of faith. Oh yeah. And I threw. Okay, good. Let's read the statement of faith. Oh, good, good stuff, good stuff. And then it gets down to that hell is you know <laughs> everlasting eternal torment for the unsaved. And I said, wait a second, that's part of your statement of faith. So I sent a message to the owner of the of the community, and I said, do you believe that if somebody does not believe the traditionalist view of hell, that they are not a Christian? And he said, what? What are you talking about? So, <laughs> um, you know, we had a little discussion, and that's really what got me. Because Probably the people that wrote that statement of belief didn't even know there was any other opposing view about hell, that it was well, either traditionalist view of hell or it was annihilationism or, or universalism. Or, yeah, or that the – yeah. Um, so anyway, that's what prompted this. And, and so we agree that this is not a uh, salvation issue. You can believe what you want on this. And then, well, guess what? Here's the good news. All of us who are safe, we'll find out one day. Yeah, and it, and it, w- it will impact how you, how you evangelize. That's, so, um, but we'll talk about that. I mean, I think that that's, that's an important thing. Um, so we wanted to jump right into the, to the actual scriptures and look at some of this stuff. Um, and see where are these thoughts coming from? Because I know people in the traditionalist camp, uh, many of them have never even heard of any other thought that you know. Well, hell's where you know that's they have Dante's Inferno in mind, right? right? And 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 you know, seven layers of hell or whatever of of this this uh, fire that that will that will uh, torture you for all eternity. Um, and all, all, there's all these scriptures that you can point to on that. So let's talk about some of them, and 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 let's see what the stances are on these on these these particular verses. Um, do you have any you want to start with? Well, I would like to just start. Let's just start in the Old Testament. Okay. And here's the thing. According to uh, this gentleman by the name of Curtis Dickinson, this is an article uh, called Concerning Unending, Unending Torment in Hell. And by the way, as a, as a um, sidebar here, anyone who is listening to this episode, if you would like uh, copies or links to any of the, uh, um, the articles that I reference, go ahead and send me an email to michael at gctnetwork.com. So Curtis Dickinson says, quote, if it that is, never-ending conscious torment, is true, as most churches claim, then it should have been made known in the clearest manner possible from the very beginning. 
It should have been announced in a language that uh, which no one could misunderstand to every generation. Right. And one would expect to read it in no indefinite terms in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. I found that to be the unquote. I found that to be a very uh, uh, thought-provoking uh, statement, and so I went back. And you could go back all the way Genesis chapter two, and uh, verse seventeen out of the New English translation. But you must not eat from the tree, God says, mm-hmm. of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Then you will go to hell, and you will burn for eternity. Right? Gotcha. Unending, never-ceasing conscious <laughs> torment. Right. However, the problem is that that's not in that verse. Correct. <laughs> okay. So, then you could go to Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verse 13. Then Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to endure. What punishment is that? Is that, David? What's too great to endure? Well, God told him him you're going to die for this. You're going to go to hell and you're going to suffer eternal conscious torment for what you did. No, he didn't say that. You're banished. You're going to have a terrible life. And in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, all right, then, if anyone kills Cain, Cain will be avenged seven times as much. Seven times as much as what? That hell? That Unending conscious torment? You can't be avenged seven times more than eternal conscious torment. No, it is being banished because Cain was not promised uh, everlasting conscious torment. Gotcha. Uh, So the Lord put a special mark on Cain, blah, blah, blah. Then we can get to the flood. There's no mention of endless torment there that I found. Right. Uh, We can just go through the... Well, and, and, you know... From a traditionalist standpoint, um, that's a, that's a conceded point because there is n- there is nothing in the Old Testament that treats um, hell in terms of um, of what we traditionally look at as hellfire and brimstone, eternal punishment. Uh, ha- however, th- there are um, there is a completely unclear view of of what the afterlife was for the Jew. And well, then let me ask you what the traditionalist viewpoint is then. Would, would uh, if Cain continued in his sin, would he experience everlasting conscious torment in hell? You mean, uh, you mean after death? Yeah. Well, if we go to the traditionalist view, the answer would have to be by default because nothing's changed. You know, people are people. Jesus died for all of them. And you either, you either saw it through the eye of faith in the past Right. You see the eye and the face in the future. Um, but that's with a New Testament view looking back. There's a lot of things that weren't described specifically in the Old Testament that are still eternal truths. Uh, one, of, one very specific one is the church. It's referred to as the great mystery because it was revealed in the New Testament under Jesus, but was never even implied, mentioned in prophecy or anything it might be there in some shadows, uh, types and shadows, but it's not going to be there in direct uh, prophecy. So I don't. And, and I understand that. That makes perfect sense. Except for we are talking about eternal, conscious, never-ending torment Correct. that was not told to people. They weren't told. They weren't warned. 
Right. Well, um, and, and, and that being true, uh, however, the Jewish outlook in, in the Old Testament is, is generally about, like you said, separation from God. That's, that's, uh, that has been like, I interviewed a rabbi one time and I asked him specifically, what do you currently, what do you believe happens after death? And he believed in basically annihilation. Um, but what he told me was that there are many different views of the Jews dating all the way back to pre-Christ uh, rabbis because they still have all those writings and they still right. hold them very, very dear. Um, but many of them did believe in, uh, in eternal pu- uh, punishment, um, but it didn't come from the Torah. It came from extra biblical sources. It came from a lot of other things. Um, but once again, just like in the last uh, episode, we talked about not necess- there are things in es- extra biblical sources that are still inherently true. They're historical. Absolutely. Or whatever. We'll, they're, just, they're, just, they're just not the inspired word of God necessarily. We'll get to the Apocrypha. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, so, okay, so let's move on here real quick then. Let me just blast through this for all of my Old Testament things, which I already know what your answer is going to be, but Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18, there is no mention of endless torment for these people. The destruction of the wicked people is expressed in terms such as consume, slay, and destroy. Now the law, this is my last point for the Old Testament. There is no mention, and you just conceded that, of endless torment. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, where God pronounced the curses mm-hmm. on Israel. When you go into the land and you do all of these bad things, right? Not if you, not when you go into the land and if you do all these bad things. When you go in and you do all these bad things, these very terrible things are going to happen to you. Nasty things. No mention of everlasting, endless, conscious torment. But you've already conceded that point. So let's yeah. just, uh, let's well, get some... And, and well, just one quick thing, like on the Sodom and Gomorrah uh, th- thing. A part of what the, of, of that, that kind of goes into your same argument is, okay, let, let's look at it from a conditionalist standpoint on Sodom and Gomorrah. They were also not warned that there was going to be any second death. Of any sort. No, no, no. In fact, you're right, because throughout the Old Testament, the wicked are are consumed, they're slayed, they're destroyed, they're burned up like chaff, they're blown away like dust in the wind. But but is all that dialogue in reference to their physicality, their existence as they knew it, because many things about the afterlife were still withheld from them. So, So basically, if I die now, I die. And that's in their mind. The worst thing you could do to them would be to kill them. So that is, to me, it doesn't make the argument for conditionalism any more than it makes the argument for traditionalism or against traditionalism. Because, in fact, if if anything, it makes the argument for annihilationism. Because... There's no, well, there's nothing afterward in the Old Testament. There's no warnings that hey, you're going to suffer a second death. You're going to go through the fires of of hell and then be uh, extinguished. There's no warnings like that. Let me throw out this caveat because there are many uh, conditionalists that do believe that before Christ came, 
Mm-hmm. It was annihilationism. It wasn't people. What you're saying is what happened. They were just dead, and that was it. They're dead, and that was it. Yeah. Um, and but the really, I think, and and I understand what what but, you're saying. But one of the things that I think is really hard to to get your head around on that is because is okay if we do a a, a parallel. What about those that are saved in the Old Testament? So we we are assuming. Noah is going to be in, you know, eternal heaven. We assume Abraham. We assume mm-hmm. Moses. We assume all these these men of faith are going because they're they're in the hall of faith for crying out loud. Right. You know. Yeah. So I mean, I fully expect to uh, to sit down and dine with them. Right. So um, that being said, why is eternal life being? projected onto them because once again there was no promise of eternal life in the old testament either okay but now you're making look at this dichotomy that you're making david eternal life is good okay that's right. a good thing right never ending conscious torment there's not uh, uh, there's nothing worse there is nothing worse and there is no warning that if you don't repent this is going to happen jonah goes to nineveh what does he teach them if you don't do these, how many days was it? 40 days and God's going to yeah. destroy. And yeah. then you're going to experience, it doesn't, why? How, it, you, it doesn't. But he didn't even, he didn't even. Compute. He did not even preach to them. He didn't, he didn't ask them to repent. That wasn't even his job. He just went to go tell them, hey, you're going to die. Um, but what, but what I'm getting at is e- eternal life is as great of a thing as eternal torment is a bad thing. So, well, okay, now why, we're getting... why would you not offer the greatest thing for following God in the Old Testament if it, if it existed to them? It's the same argument of saying... Wouldn't that be a nice surprise, though, David? Well, Which would you rather be surprised by? Surprise! Well, but, but, our, but our rathers don't weigh into God's justice. Well, here's the thing, though. It comes down to this. Moses, and I'm quoting Curtis Dickinson again, Moses had to be well aware of the doctrine of future endless punishment as it was the common doctrine of Egypt. And Moses, we know, quote, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, Acts 7.22. Yet he rejected it along with all the other superstitions of the Egyptians. This is strong evidence. It's not a proof. It's evidence <laughs> of the fact that this doctrine is not of God, but of pagan origin. But if the doctrine were true, and for thousands of years, God saw the guilty creatures plunging into unutterable, endless torture after he had clearly stated that their punishment would be death, just how are we to understand the character of him who claims to be just, righteous, and true. Moses was fully aware of the doctrine of endless punishment because the Egyptians loved it. Right. But he, he, but he was aware it? of the Egyptian doctrine of eternal punishment. It's not the same thing. Okay. Um, we, don't teach, we don't teach the Egyptian uh, practices. No, but I mean, he could surely say, hey, like how the Egyptians teach it, let me tell you what it's really like. Yeah. Because God wants you to know that, that you can avoid this. Gotcha. So. Okay, so, uh, let, so moving on. Okay, <laughs> I'll can I'll concede, you know, somewhat to no, your no, no, to no, your no, Old we, Testament point. Okay, <laughs> well then let's. I think that uh, just as new follows old, we will jump into the New Testament. Yeah, well, and it just you know to to kind of put the cap on that for me, it's 
I think there are a lot of things concealed in the Old Testament revealed in the New Testament. But never ending conscious torment? Everlasting life. They're both as heavy. They're both as heavy. Which would you rather be surprised by? <laughs> okay, so I think we got that. Okay. Let's move on. So, New Testament. Let's go to John the Baptist. Okay. Matthew 3, verse 12, out of the New English translation. His, who? Jesus. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clean out his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the storehouse, but the chaff he will burn up with inextinguishable fire. Okay. Um, I have to quote from Curtis Dickinson again, because these two articles are short, but they are jam-packed. And again, I, I will freely give these out to anybody that wants them. Uh, quote, in his parables, Jesus portrayed the sinner as burned up like weeds, as cut asunder, destroyed, slain, losing life, scattered as dust, all in keeping with God's warning to Adam, thou shalt surely die. Mm -hmm. And Ezekiel's statement, the soul that sins, it shall die. So that's his, uh, that's his stance on Jesus and Jesus's teaching. You and I were talking a little bit before the uh, show started. We should have been, uh, we should have been live or on air uh, for a bunch <laughs> of that uh, conversation right. um, because Jesus's teaching does come in into it. Uh, in fact, uh, Matthew chapter 25, 25 sorry, uh, mm -hmm. verses 41 and 46. Um, you know, do you have a Bible handy? Let me see if I can. I do. That uh, yeah, Matthew uh, twenty five forty one and forty six. Uh, yes, I have the ESV here. You uh, Matthew twenty five forty one. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, it says then he will say to those on his left, "Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry." And you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison. and You did not visit me. Then they will also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you, minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you. As you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, this is kind of a tricky passage because now we have the, we can easily veer into, uh, into eschatology. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, millennialism and, and, you know, preterism and partial preterism and, post, you know, whatever, all the different things. Yeah, yeah. And so this is kind of a little bit of a tricky passage uh, for me. Uh, well, this is, one of the, this is one of the key passages to this entire um, uh, discussion because right. there, there are very pro and con on both sides of this debate in this passage. So, Absolutely. And so when you have, uh, well, it was specifically, what was it, 41, uh, mm -hmm. verse 41 out of the NIV, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who were cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Yes. What is eternal fire? And uh, verse 46, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous will 
uh, to eternal life. So we have eternal punishment and eternal fire. Let me just throw out this quote from, since I'm quoting him all over the place, Curtis Dickinson. The, The unrighteous will suffer the punishment of death, which will be eternal. It will be the everlasting punishment of death, not everlasting punishment. And so that's the key, is Jesus talking about um, punishment that is everlasting or death that cannot be reversed? Right. Because now, So now we're getting close to talking about Gehenna. Well, and because the question becomes, of, is this you know, a qualitative or, or quantitative uh, discussion about uh, this punishment? Is it uh, the punishment that is in the age to come? You know all that whole the, the, part of part of the debate around this whole thing is this this word everlasting punishment, um, and like in, that's in forty six. Okay, the the Greek behind that is uh, aeonios kolossus. Okay, um, the the ESV here translates it everlasting punishment. It can be translated um, a period of time that aeonus not necessarily everlasting but a period of time Um, Colossus can also be uh, translated as correction and so you know when I was talking earlier about the universalism this is part of to me the where we have to to really be careful because we can take this to mean eternal punishment, or it can be just a period of punishment, which is kind of the conditionalist stance, or it could be a period of correction. Okay, that takes us a little bit, that takes us a step further, because what is correction? Correction is wanting a good result, uh, wanting a positive result from the person who's being corrected, uh, whereas punishment doesn't imply that. Uh, punishment can be just punishment. I mean, you're just getting it. Um, so the thing that I want to make sure that we don't trip into is that, well, maybe if this, if this means a period of correction, then that's obviously Rob Bell's stance on this is, is his, his, his definition of this verse is this is going to lead us to a place to where we have the opportunity to be corrected through punishment that makes no sense. And and so... <laughs> so then the devil and his angels are going to be corrected in that same place? Well, well, and see, and, that, and that's part of my traditionalist argument, is, is it goes back to, there is a comparison here being made uh, with the devil and his angels. Um, and it loops, and it groups those on the left hand into the same bucket as, as these. Now, if we if we if we jump over into a Revelation 19, um, and it talks about there the destruction of the beast and the devil, but yeah. it explains what the destruction is. It's eternal uh, torment. It is. It is. They are. Let me flip over there. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, let me just throw in this caveat right away as you're looking that up. Um, Contrary to what uh, may or may not have been said on the last episode of the Theonauts, I wholly believe that that Revelation is written in signs and symbols just as is expressed right at the very beginning. That is for people at that time and, and 
I don't know that I'm comfortable um, trying to unpack what that means um, in light of the rest of Scripture. Because right. uh, part of the thing that uh, uh, if you read the books, and especially the fire, fire that consumes, um, the, the point is being set up throughout the whole Testament that God promises the wicked death. Right. And it is death that cannot be reversed. Um, and, and so um, eternal, you know, what I'm focusing on on these passages in Matthew, and I don't know what Rob Bell has to say or not, but, uh, you know, again, getting to eternal fire in, mm-hmm. verses four, in verse 41 and eternal punishment in verse 46. What does that eternal, what does that word mean and what is it referencing is right. it saying that the fire will always be burning with people in it? Or is it saying that it is a, an eternal fire that cannot be put out until it accomplishes its goal, until it uses its, its fuel? And that's the point that many of these writers of the conditionalist argument are making, that mm-hmm. the eternal fires are just like Gehenna, the trash heap. Nobody puts out those fires. You can't. They're burning and they're doing their job. Right. They are consuming. <clears throat> they are consuming. And the worms, the maggots are down in there and they are consuming and they are both eternal. You're not going to reverse that. Right. The, the consuming that they do or the consumption that, that takes place by the fire and the maggots it cannot be reversed. And likewise, in verse 46, go into eternal punishment. Is that a punishment that lasts for eternity? Or is that a punishment, that, hence death, that cannot be reversed? It is eternal. It has been done. It will not be reversed. Okay. And that's the argument well, that, that these conditionalists and, are making. And, and, I, and I, I want to come back to the revelation thing here in just a second because I'm not ready to throw it out yet. <laughs> But uh, but in, in this passage you're talking about, Matthew 25, 46, um, here's, here's one of the things that bothers me a little bit about um, your, your take on eternal mm-hmm. in, in relevance to punishment, is what is to stop us from doing the exact same thing with the next passage? The, the, the same word is used twice in the same verse. It says, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So, so it's like, uh, are we, when I hear eternal life, I don't think temporarily or until I get everything out of it, I can. I think eternal, like there's no time. time exactly. exactly. Time exactly. Is, there is no time. T- time is completely without purpose. I mean, it's in the afterlife, there is no concept of time. Time is an element of this earth. So eternal punishment, I have to read it. If I'm, if I'm going to be consistent, I have to read it the same way, which means eternal means without time. I am oh, in a, in a, in a non uh, linear state of punishment. And we are reading it exactly the opposite of each other. I'm reading it that it is in the in the eternal realm. Yes. That is the the seal is on. Boom! This cannot be reversed. It's the eternal realm. Eternal life is life that will cannot be reversed. You can't die. You cannot die. When but but die, wait a minute. How do you how do we get to that definition of eternal? Because even in the Greek, everywhere you look in in 
in um, the understanding of that Greek word, it's referencing time in some way. So it's not necessarily about irrevocable presence. It's it's a it is the, in the Greek it is referring to an extent of time. So like so even the but most time liberal time. takes on this passage try to make it a short span of time, um, whereas the more I don't want to use that word, but the more traditionalist stand uh, understanding of it is that it is it is a non-ending amount of time. Um, but in either case, we're dealing with time. Mm, no, uh, not according to the uh, to the conditionalist um, argument. Um, you're dealing with something that cannot be reversed. Um, uh, so, in other words, once it is, it is. Um, and I'm not really prepared to to discuss the the, the definition of eternal um, in that great of depth. I'm I'm hoping that people that their appetite is whetted and that they will go and actually read right. the literature because this book is super duper heavy, super right. heavy. This is not, you know, lay in bed at night and get some light reading done. This is thoroughly, um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so anyway, um, you know, I would have to do a quick search on, on what he has to say about, uh, about that. But what it is, is, uh, you know, going back to um, Curtis Dickinson, um, that, uh, that it is, so, again, it's something that cannot be uh, reversed. Well, um, well, the thing that, that I just keep getting curious about on that definition is where, where are they getting that definition? Um, I mean, like... I'm, hey, brother, this is, these guys are pretty smart. I don't know. But, <laughs> but, but I'm reading from uh, Strong's. And, and this, this word, everla it's translated everlasting in the King James. It's translated eternal in the ESV. Uh, it means perpetual. Uh, also used of past time or past and future together. Uh, eternal, forever, everlasting, um, uh, since the world began, since the world will end, uh, from beginning to end. Uh, without beginning, without end, never ceasing, everlasting. I see, I see nothing in any of the, at least in Strong's. Now he's, I know he's not, um, he's not inspired, but at the same time, I got to lean on these Greek scholars that they at least knew what the language was saying in the ears of the listeners. So. Well, again, I, it is covered. I'm looking. I'm searching through the book right now, and it's covered in depth. So, listeners, you really should uh, look into this book. You can get it cheap as a as a uh, Kindle book. Gotcha. Uh, just you know, this one thing that I uh, highlighted in here: to undergo this punishment is to perish eternally and entirely, mm -hmm. fully and forever. There's time. So, there's your time in there. If you want to sneak time into the eternal realm. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, it's to forfeit eternal life um, is, is how he's looking at this. Um, fully well, I can see exactly what they're saying on, in terms of an eternal punishment is um, separation from Christ in non-existence. Even in non-existence would be eternal in its punishment. Uh, I totally get that. Um, but I do want to go to Revelation for a minute because... Okay. Because um, I understand that it can be symbolized. I'm not a symbologist, though, um, in that I do believe that there are literal uh, readings in the Revelation as well. Otherwise, uh, 
we lose a lot of doctrines like, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the judgment and the, the uh, um, New Jerusalem and all that stuff. But if we, but if we look at Revelation 20. Ah, I found what I was looking for. Okay, go ahead. Okay, Revelation 20, verse 10, it says, And the devil who had, re- who, had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Yeah. Um, so now, obviously, you know that preterists and even many partial preterists would say that that's already happened. Yes, I understand that. But yeah. but at the same time, um, the 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 wording is very clear about this being an ongoing torment that lasts for eternity. Um, it written in a book that is said right up front that this is written in signs and symbols. Correct. But okay. uh, if you symbolize the entire, every single word of the book, well, then you lose complete narrative of it completely. Okay. There is something happening eternally. Uh, otherwise, it wouldn't be mentioned. Um, so the, the the problem I have with with what we were just reading there in Matthew uh, 26 is it, is it says that fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. So it's talking about the same place. It's talking about the same uh, thing. So the people will go down into it. Now, I understand the question is whether the people will be consumed and the devil will continue to burn. But to me, I don't see the inconsistency in the text um, okay. between the two. Uh, it's like Jesus is implying something. When he throws in this this concept that you're going to be with the devil, and you're, and it's going to be eternal, I don't I do not think the listeners would have thought, yeah, but not really eternal. You know what I mean? I mean they would have they would have heard the scariest thing they could possibly hear out of Jesus's mouth, um, and, and and especially given the fact that Jesus had to even explain a lot of his stuff to his disciples after the fact, you know that the, that the reaction people had upon first hearing it, he would have been either totally misunderstood by them if he wasn't clear in, well, this is a uh, fire that burns forever, but you won't. Um, what is the point of saying that the fire is eternal? There, is there a point behind that? What The point is that the suffering is eternal. And so anyway, that's that's kind of how I read those passages. And here's the ar- the uh, opposite argument. Now, I'm not talking about Revelation because really I have nothing to say about that. Um, mm-hmm. It's a book that's highly symbolized and people to this very day have radically different views as to what it means and, and what it's saying to us. And some people are reading it, that book with the newspaper in one hand, and other people are saying it's all been completely fulfilled, you know? Well, so, but that's only to a certain extent. Almost every one of those views come together at about chapter 19. Uh, well, and, the full preterist, though. What's that? Not, not, the, uh, not the preterist view. The preterist view does, but just not the hyper-preterist, is in, which is a very, very small uh, subset of the preterist. Uh, they, they don't, they're the only ones who hold to the fact that Revelation 20 and and beyond is going to be past tense. What was the um, uh, Greek word that you were uh, getting the definition from for eternity? 
Ionos. Yes. Okay. So there is the uh, the section in this book on duration, quality, or both. You were talking about duration. Yeah. Um, other people are talking about quality, but could it be both? And just uh, just a little uh, blurb here. Um, Moses E. Lard, in which Lard explored the scripture, you, uh, you, the scriptural use of Hebrew and Greek adjectives translated as eternal. Um, neither Lard nor Allen accepted either annihilationism or universalism. However, both men concluded that the New Testament word eternal carries a qualitative meaning of the age to come, but that it is impossible to know whether it also means endless. And so again, it's it, uh, the uh, so the the conditionalist view of eternal is uh, is really leaning heavy towards uh, the qualitative meaning. In other words, uh, what it's like in the eternal realm. Right. So things that cannot be uh, uh, cannot be undone, uh, and it goes on. This is a great. Uh, I forgot about this section of the book and and that Greek word. And it's not so. It's not simple and cut and dried. And and um, as much as I would like it to be, you know, I would like it to be a. Hey, <laughs> you know, it's this period. Um, Jesus uh, himself spoke in a single sentence of eternal life and eternal punishment, which we just talked about. Since Augustine, many theologians have looked at that verse and insisted that the punishment must last as long as the life. You know, it goes on. These are this is in depth arguments, and each uh, this book is heavily annotated. Mm-hmm. So everybody that is quoted <clears throat> is noted in uh, in the chapter breaks. So um, let's talk a little bit about Gehenna. Before we run out of time. Okay. Uh, and especially Mark chapter 9 and uh, verse 44 and 48. And you yes. and I've heard you mention many times, and not just on this episode, how would the Jews have heard the words that came out of Jesus' mouth? Correct. And so... Because context is everything. We know what Gehenna is. We know where it was. Correct. Would they hear... Something other than that trash dump right outside the city that stinks. The fires are always burning there, and that's where we throw human waste and our trash and and the occasional you know body of a criminal. Right. So I mean, it was a real place. Correct. And those fires were always burning, and uh, so especially in Mark chapter you know nine and uh, uh, verses forty four and forty eight. You know, where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. So, right. um, what did they hear when they heard Jesus talking about Gehenna? Well, uh, I mean, I think you're, they heard that the, they're I, talking about the dump. I, I think you're, you're right. Um, the word, um, and I would have to go back and look at, at I, I had looked at it one time before, but the word uh, Gehenna is uh, not necessarily specifically one-to-one the, the phrasing for that place you're talking about. That place was the Valley of Hinnom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Gehenna is basically saying of the nature of Hinnom. It, it, I mean, it's not necessarily saying, you know that place over there, that's where you're going. He was using it as, I believe, an obvious metaphor for what the future holds for the lost. Um, and I think it was probably understood that he was referring to it in metaphor and not necessarily literally, um, mainly because the duration is mentioned here. 
uh, about the worm never dying and the fire is not quenched. And once again, I just keep coming back to this idea of what is the point in telling us that these things never stop? If, Be- I mean, because they don't stop until their job is done. The fires of Gehenna were never quenched because its purpose was to consume all that was cast into it. Right. And, and once, and, but now if you go there now, it, the fires aren't burning. Why? Because it's not used as a dump. Everything that was put in there was burned up. I like the New English translation note on, uh, on Matthew uh, 5.22 on the word hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Greek is the Gehenna of fire. So what you were saying. So the word translated hell is Gehenna. Um, a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew words Gehenim, Valley of Hinnom, just like you said. This was the valley along the south side of Jerusalem. In Old Testament times, it was used for human sacrifices to the pagan god Moloch, which we know that was just a wonderful god. <laughs> yeah, so, let's right? burn our children. Yes, yeah, so let's afford our children. <laughs> hey, I know first. what we'll do today. <laughs> yeah, I've Let's go toss our baby in the fire. This will make God happy. And it came, it came to be used as a place where human excrement and rubbish were disposed of and burned. In the intertestamental period, uh, it came to be used symbolically as the place of divine punishment. So now we're getting back into intertestamental, intertestamental mm-hmm. mental, I can't say that word, um, uh, views. Um, but anyway... Uh, it was according to the notes in the NET. So, you, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not uh, inspired, of course, but uh, um, they were, when, when the Jews said Gehenna, that's what they thought of, was mm-hmm. that dump. That was the dump. Um, and so the picture that Christ is, is painting is that, you know, this is the fate and it's not going to stop until it, it's going to accomplish its, um, its goal. And so, uh, quoting again from Curtis Dickinson, uh, quote, there is a vast difference in saying that the fire is unquenchable and saying that it never shall be quenched. There are biblical examples of fires that were said to be unquenchable, but eventually went out when they had consumed the material that they burned, such as, uh, you know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, these certain passages. Mm-hmm. And so, again, the conditionalist sees that Jesus is telling these people that the fate of those that are not with him are to be burned up. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. In the day that you eat of it, you will die. Period. You will die. There's a period there. Mm -hmm. Cain, you're going, here's your punishment. Sodom and Gomorrah, all the punishments all along. And then you get into uh, especially the, uh, um, uh, the prophets and things. And one of the most famous passages is at the very end of Isaiah. Uh, 66, uh, verse 24, and they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched and they will be loathsome to all mankind. Now, we can read that and say, he's talking about the armies and fighting in Isaiah's, you know, what he's prophesying about, you know, right there in close proximity. But for some reason, most biblical scholars believe that that's talking about eternal, uh, the eternal fate of, of the wicked, yeah. uh, no matter when they lived. And it, it just talks about over and over and over again in the Bible, and I can't make the case fully here on, on one <laughs> podcast, it's not possible to do, is, is that the, the picture is you either will accept the free gift of, you know, here, 
here you go. You want the, I'm going to just close out my statements with this. John <laughs> three sixteen. Yes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, right. but have eternal life. That's the dichotomy. You're going to die. You don't have to die. You can have eternal life. That's what God offers to people. Yeah. You can have eternal, the natural state of man is to die. That's your natural state. The soul that sins, it shall die. We all sin. You know, uh, the due payment for sin, what we are owed. It's our, it's your, you owe it to me. You owe me death. Yes. Okay. And but the free gift of God is life. And, and I guess much the same way that, that we can debate, you know, the, the word eternal, we can debate the word death. Um, because or death and destruction, because there are some similar verses that you didn't bring out, but uh, often get brought up in this is Matthew ten and twenty eight, where it talks about fear not the one who can destroy the body, but I the have one. that right. I was just, that was going to be my next one. <laughs> I'm stealing your thunder. Because now so. we have to get into we can get into a discussion on the immortal soul. Is yes, that taught yes. in the Bible? And um, no, but but then again, there's not a lot about the soul taught. Period. And that's part of the problem with this. There's not a lot spoken about the afterlife, plus or minus, good or bad. We we are taking. Uh, we just want to make sure that we don't take the eternal passages we like and discard the eternal passages we don't like. Well, you, you know. But we but throw this challenge back to you. You you liked that Revelation passage a lot. Okay, I did use Revelation. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying with that eternal fire and that you know. Well, it has to come into play because it is one of the few passages that does talk about uh, the post life. Uh, it's one of the passages that w the few that we have that deals with it. So we have to to at least address it. Uh, but but almost almost. Well, it the Bible the Scripture leans heavily towards the notion. And I've got all kinds of verses here that the what the ungodly have to look forward to is destruction, to perish, mm -hmm. to be slain, cut down. Yep. All of these words, they're, they're final words. Well, and, I agree. Um, they are final words, but they're the exact same words. And I'm going to go back to Revelation here for a minute because it might be symbols, but... It is consistent in its dialogue. Okay, so like in Revelation 17, verse 8, it says, The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Okay, uh, if we jump over to... But he just said he's about to. Yes. He's when did the, when, so when did that take place? Well, hang on. He's, ab okay. he's about to he's go about to destruction. Okay. okay, destruction being finality, correct? I mean, that's the same word. It's the same word used in Matthew t uh, 10, 28 for the one who can destroy. That word destroy, it's the same Greek word. Uh, so it just told us that the beast was about to go into destruction. But then three chapters later, same book, it says, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast, the one we just read about, and mm -hmm. the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh-huh. So yeah. there's no mention you know, of... Then we, have to, then we can go back through the Old Testament <laughs> and find all the uh, cases of forever and ever. 
and you know this, uh, and and we can do a lot of comparing there. I think that would be a very interesting episode of the yeah. Theonauts, as a matter of fact. The concept in the scripture of forever well, and ever. And I guess here, this is part of the one of the things that really kind of makes the argument for me. It's completely scientific in my mind. The the fact that there is no time apart from this world. Time does not exist. Time is a is a is a construct here like gravity is. Absolutely. This linear existence that we experience today, tomorrow, the past, the future, all those things are relative to our speed, the uh, where you are, what kind of gravitational pull is on you. All these things are tied to, uh, and this is basically goes into Einstein's theory of relativity. So if God, if, if, if everything outside of this life is not bound by this time. There's no linear progression. So there's no short-term punishment versus long-term punishment that, that we can get our heads around because yeah. there's no time. It's, it's a consistent state of being. Exactly. I don't, that's the point. Um, when the language throughout the Bible is about, about, about destruction, about slaughter, about a finality to those who are wicked. I got to go back to uh, Luke chapter 19, and let's talk about the the uh, the parable of the minas real quick. Okay. Uh, it just let's just put it uh, here the the finality of that. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to be their king, bring them here and slaughter them in front of me. Slaughter them forever. Once you slaughter something, it's slaughtered. Um, now, if you want to get into what, you know, eternity, well, there's no time, li- there's no time. So that slaughtering could last for all of it. Okay. Yeah. I'm not prepared to, to discuss that. Um, Jude verse seven. Okay. You talked about Jude last week. You should like this. So also Sodom <laughs> Gomorrah and the neighboring towns, since they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires in a way similar to these angels are now displayed as an example by suffering and punishment of eternal fire. Wait, what? Wait a second, dude. You're telling me that I can go out there and see the fire? You, I can see the fire and see them being punished right now? No. Eternal fire obviously does not mean that it will not stop. Okay? They suffered, as an example, by suffering the punishment of eternal fire. In fact, Abraham went out the next day and saw the smoke rising. Where was the fire? It had consumed It had done its job. Ezekiel 18, verse 20. uh, Out of the KJV, because people like this, the soul that that sinneth, it shall die. Right. Period. Romans 6, 23. For the payoff, I love in, in the New English translation on this one. The payoff of sin is death. I already talked about that. You owe it to me, God. But the gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Thessalonians 1 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, that eternal fire. The fire's not still there. No, but they're still destroyed, aren't they? They're still destroyed. Away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of his might. Two more. <laughs> Second, 2 Peter 3.17, New English translation, but by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire by being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Those fires are going to consume. And Matthew 10.28, you just referenced that. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Instead, 
fear the one who is able to destroy them both, mm -hmm. soul and body, in the fire of Gehenna. Yeah. I, I, but who's to say that destruction isn't an ongoing thing? I mean, I, I, mean, I, I see what you're saying. Uh, but we, the same way we could argue that eternal is a uh, quality of existence. It, yeah. I mean, you could say the same thing about, you know, you know, destruction or destroy can be, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that, that we might use the word destroy on. They're still there. They're still in existence. Uh, we, but we use that as a devastating, you know, uh, uh, my wife left me and it destroyed my life. Well, yeah. But see, he's but, pointing to, go and look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, you can't, can you? Because it <laughs> was destroyed by eternal fire. It, 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 I mean, I understand what you're saying, and I'm yeah. still 25% with you, brother. Yeah, well, and who Just knows? That, we, may, it, we may find some remnants of Sodom and Gomorrah yet. I mean, that's at the bottom of the Dead Sea. So <laughs> And burning down there. <laughs> That so, eternal fire. But uh, before before we we sew all this up, though, there's another passage that I think we need to just briefly talk about. I think you and I are going to be on the exact same page about it. But I know some of our listeners are probably going to be saying, "Wait a minute, you didn't talk about Lazarus and the rich man." Ah. So I, th I think we we should at least uh, throw that out there. And of course, you know, this is found in Luke 16, verse 19 to 31. You have Jesus telling the story about a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus, and the rich man wouldn't give him any any help, and they both died. Lazarus ends up in King James language hell. Um, both of them are, and uh, Lazarus <laughs> is is on the is on in Abraham's bosom, mm -hmm. and there is a, a gulf between uh, him and the rich man who is in torment, mm -hmm. begging, let Lazarus go back and just let him dip his, his finger in water and touch my tongue with it. And, okay, so all this is happening. And this is Jesus telling the story. So what's going on there? Well, uh, depends on what position. <laughs> Some people believe that that is a picture of heaven and hell. Yes. Other people picture that, that that is a picture of what was known as Sheol, yes. um, and it and Jesus is revealing what Sheol actually is. And you have two compartments in there, uh, which Sheol is the plate, the abode of the dead. It's the grave. Yes. Um, it's the it's where dead people are um, or were or whatever. I don't even know. Who knows? Um, but then you have you have uh, Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, also known as paradise. I have always been taught, and I don't know, it doesn't even matter if it's true or not, that this is where dead people go. And you are going to know right away what your eternal fate is. Yeah. Um, and you're going to either end up hanging out with Abraham, waiting for Judgment Day, and it's a nice place. It's called paradise. Or you're going to be down there, or over there, over there. It's yeah. across the chasm, right? With, uh, with uh, the, the rich man who is in torment. Well, um, E.W. Bullinger wrote a really good uh, study on this uh, that you might want to look up sometime. It's, it's very intriguing. Of course, Bullinger and I are on the same page about what happens to you when you die. Uh, I'm a soul sleep. Uh, I, think that that's the, I think the New Testament largely leans on that. It constantly refers to the saints who have fallen asleep. It keeps using all this, this lingo. So what is Jesus talking about here? And... Um, I believe he is using the Jews' understanding of the afterlife, at least the, the first century Jews, 
understanding of the afterlife in order to teach a point. The point was take care of the poor. <laughs> so that's the point. The point's not do good and you go to heaven and do bad, you go to hell. That wasn't even necessarily the point, although it came into play because he knew what their thoughts of the afterlife uh, were. It is, as you mentioned in our pre-show discussion, uh, it is aligned with the Greek understanding, the pagan understanding of uh, Sheol and Hades are roughly the same concept uh, with their, and of course all this Greek mythology about uh, Sisyphus, you know, pushing that stone up the hill over and over again and it never ends and that's his torment. I mean, all, all of this type of, of understanding about hell. And um, so I do think that Jesus is using what they know to teach a, an object lesson. Um, the only argument I would make from that story in terms of what we're talking about is Jesus didn't take this opportunity to tell them, your understanding of afterlife is completely screwed up. You know, I mean, he, uh, he wasn't saying, no, you're a bunch of pagans. This is, you got this from the Greeks. <laughs> He's not going there. Instead, he uses it as a teaching tool, um, which doesn't necessarily refute the traditional understanding of hell, but it doesn't necessarily give it gravity either. So th that's why, to me, it's a kind of an unimportant passage in this particular debate. But anyway. Understood. Um, yeah, that's really, I mean, I, I have no comment on that. Okay. Uh, I, I just want... <clears throat> Let me just sum up the conditionalist view here, and that is that um, um, the concept of everlasting conscious torment is a pagan construct, um, and that all through Moses had the perfect opportunity right from the very beginning to tell everybody, um, you know, his understanding and knowledge of pagan concepts of eternal uh, torment was profound. He didn't even touch on that subject. And that I, ha I, I have to put the weight in the corner of the statement that, well, that was made by Curtis Dickinson right at the very beginning, that if this is true, God w should have made it abundantly clear from the very beginning, it should be, there should be, we shouldn't even be having this debate, David. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't even be able to say, oh, you got a point on that <clears> one. <throat> I take the point on that one. No, because that th this is, I mean, it's serious as a heart attack. To allow, to tell Adam and Eve that in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die and let their, a period rest there and right. then not continue the thought. To do the same to Cain, to do the same throughout the Old Testament, to do this ambiguous in the New Testament. And yes, Jesus is addressing people that have a that have been Hellenized for hundreds of years. They are very influenced by Greek culture, whether they like it or not. Um, there is also a huge switch up in the uh, 400 years between Malachi and uh, our, favorite, <laughs> our favorite Italian. Yeah, the Italian guy. And, uh, and John the Baptist coming. John the Baptist didn't say anything about uh, eternal uh, damnation and torture, unending. Um, it is not clear enough in the word to hang that hat on God. 
Um, I think it comes down really, and I've oh my whole life I have I have poo pooed this verse my whole life, and now <laughs> I love it because it makes so many things clear. And I'll just end with the New American Standard Bible version of John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You can choose life or you can choose the natural way, and that is to die. Now, uh, uh, unfortunately, you're going to be punished uh, after you die the right. first time before the second death. <clears throat> um, and uh, that, that's, that's really where I'm leaning, and I still am. Well, and I guess on the traditional side of that whole thing, um, I guess I could... I could sum of it. I want to sum it up a little bit with some of the echoing of what you were saying about the Old Testament and not being revealed to them that there was an eternal punishment. Um, I, to me, is no more greater of a disservice than not revealing to them that there was eternal life. But at the same time, I don't think that we all fully realize how much punishment being separated from God is. I don't necessarily think eternal destruction, like completely annihilated or gone or whatever, uh, I don't think that's any worse than uh, eternal torment, physical eternal tor torment. Then what's and, the point of eternal torment? And, 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 and the reason why, in fact, it could even be ju just as bad because um, I don't think we understand the full joy, the flip side of what life with God is going to be like. Um, so the main arguments to me that, that really drive this home is, um, I know we touched on it a little bit, but the philosophy behind it impacts how we teach it. And I know there has been an overabundance of hellfire and brimstone teaching in the past that has led to some bad theology, that has led to some legalism, that has led to all kinds of, of bad things. But the flip side of that is... The, the fear is, the fear of God is a greater motivator than the love of God. And, and so if we look at how a father treats a son, we've talked about this on the show before, you don't start teaching a child how to obey you by just hugging him and loving on him there has to be some instilling of respect and commanding through fear. And so fear is the beginning point of wisdom, right, as, as the preacher tells us. So um, fear has its place in this. And to me, that is the ultimate reason why eternal punishment or the hint of an eternal torment given by Jesus and his references to Gehenna are there is in order to give us a good, solid fear of God's justice. Because we don't know, if we're an alien sinner, we don't know the joy of being with God. But we sure know the fear of being tortured. And so it's, it's like um, a good example that I heard one time by, um, oh, what's his name? Way of the Master, Ray Comfort, uh, was, was talking about this one time. And if you're flying on an airplane, and that airplane is 
uh, you're sitting next to somebody and you say, here, put on this parachute. It'll, 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 it'll enhance your flight. It'll make you uh, feel uh, safer and it'll give you all this, 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 this comfort and rest and knowing that, that you'll be okay. And you finally convince somebody, okay, to put this, this parachute on. Uh, but then they start sitting there and it's uncomfortable. They're looking like a weirdo in the plane. And before long, it's like, you know what? Uh, I don't need all this. And they, they shed it. But if you tell them, look, I know for a fact this plane is going to crash. It is going to go down. And unless you put this parachute on, then, then you will be destroyed. So you put the parachute, they put the parachute on as a different motivation. And that motivation is fear. And uh, now does that mean that we live our lives in fear? No, because once we come to know Jesus and we get to know him in a relationship, love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear, as 1 John tells us. So to me, I think that is kind of uh, the part that this plays in our evangelism is not to live by hellfire and brimstone, but to, but to start, that's the beginning point of, 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 of wisdom. Um, Obviously, there is a whole section of this discussion that we didn't really get into, and that's the philosophies that are behind it all, because almost always there is an emotional uh, tie on both sides that has nothing to do with actual scripture. It's more like, well, I just can't believe in a God that would torment people for eternity. Um, but the flip side of that is... Um, we can't even begin to know the extremity of an existence of such an existence with God, and how how vastly that will outweigh what is happening over there on the other side of the fence. I mean, I just I think it's it's something out there that we can't get our heads around, ultimately. Um, and so, I mean, I think there's there's pros and cons to to, to both sides of all of this. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm just going to leave it with this. As someone who has studied with a bunch of atheists over the course of my, my life, I have a really hard time, not so much with the conditionalism as I do the annihilation, because that's what the atheist believes. That's where he believes he's going. He believes when he dies, there's nothing. He believes his, his life force will be extinguished for all eternity. There's nothing after this. And I, I, I just find it really hard to believe that that's absolutely true. That he can live his life the way he is wanting to live it now with the hedonistic view that this is all I got, so I might as well enjoy it. Um, but I know you've got, you know, the conditionalist doesn't actually go there. So I know you're not. No, there will be punishment. But I need to piggyback on something that you said, and, and I don't understand why if, if, um, if the experience... This ties into what we talked about before the show. Those people that believe that they're just dead like a dog, you're not going to change their mind. And telling them about hell isn't going to change their mind because they'll say, I don't believe in it. So what, you know, why are you even saying this to me? I do not believe in that. But on the day of judgment, they will believe, David. They will believe with every fiber of their being and just no seeing the God of the universe, the one who died for them, and they are going, they will have no choice but to drop 
to their knees. They will not be able to stand in his presence. And then they will know the full <coughs> weight will drop on onto their shoulders of I squandered everything. Right. everything and that and so let's get back to your point about we don't <laughs> understand the glory of god so what does burning what's burning going to do worse than that seeing the god of the universe and then have him say i never knew you i didn't know you and you're going off into the fires that consume you will die that is the second yeah. death you have no hope well my you thought have- on that was more tied to uh, I've heard the argument of what joy can there be in heaven knowing that my loved ones are burning in hell forever. Well, well and I don't know. I, I can't talk about that. <laughs> That's kind of what I was referring to, that I, I think that the, our existence there will be on such a higher plane that, I mean, I'm not mourning the loss of my kindergarten friends. Although when I was in kindergarten, it was a big deal. Um, and I think that this is going to be our, our existence after this with God will be so far advanced to what we have here that that this relate these relationships that we hold so dear will be so minute compared to that. And I believe that those who rejected Christ will see and experience all of that in the blink of an eye as they are on their face at judgment and the <laughs> torment that is that's the torment right there. Right. I don't get to experience this. I don't get to experience this and uh, uh, you already said, what can fire do that's worse than that? All mm. it can do then from then is just consume the dead. Mm. Well, and, and I think we're not going to solve this problem. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> it's fun to talk about, though. <laughs> it is. And, and uh, you know, it, it's fun to, to discuss all these things. As I said, you know, on the, the, the outset, it's not going to change how I um, evangelize or anything one way or the other. Um, but I do think that, um, that it is, it's good and healthy to discuss things that we see in the scripture and to speculate about things that we don't know about. And, and so I, I, I think what we need to do is learn how to deal with these type of topics that we have, di- you know, differing views on with love and fellowship and all these things that we are supposed to have. These aren't, di- they shouldn't be divisive. Amen. And, and uh, and of course, I mean, you and I are a perfect example of this. I'm sure that there are many other things that that we're not on the exact same page about. And uh, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we're not brothers. Amen, brother. Yeah, it's all so, about unity. And what are you unified around? You heretic. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> oh man. So uh, did you get the uh, the sign off sheet that I sent you? I did. Hey, so. <laughs> You're going to be Jeremiah for the day, right? So oh, you yes, so, so you got to do Jeremiah's part on this. Okay. So did you have anything you want to throw in before we before we sign off? I love you, brother. <laughs> you too, man. So the Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network. We use new media and social networking to go in all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more or to partner with us, visit us at gctnetwork.com. Subscribe to the newsletter there and stay up to date with us, especially all the other shows that we have. All one right now, I guess. But we, we, we will add more, won't we? So, and check out Finding Christ in Cinema and listen to Michael and Brendan as they talk about movies and all the good stuff that is out there. Please do. And there are several ways to contact us and leave us feedback. So send email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com. Call us like Jeremiah did on our voicemail line, 972 885 
You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, all the places where finer podcasts are served and all your favorite podcatchers on your Android devices, your iOS devices, on your computer machines, all those things. And don't forget to leave us comments there and give us a five-star review, especially in iTunes. Yes. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. And follow us on Instagram at Theonauts. And don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. Michael, I sure appreciate you being here, brother. The pleasure is all mine. All right, God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. Love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. This is your great commission transmission. At GCTnetwork.com. Transmission. This is your great commission transmission.